0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that... Being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business, all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 140. In today's episode, I interview Max Ada or Marvelous Max Montana, uh, and many other aliases, is you may know him, uh, if you've ever listened to his podcast, The Jug Life, with Chad Wesley Smith. Uh, but make sure you stick around today, uh, really take a deep dive into coaching, uh, all that Max has to share, and any type of coach, whether you're weightlifting or not, will get a lot out of this, as well as the long-term uh, athletic development of uh any any youngsters uh, and I know they've done some talks on this but it really really um, speaks I think to a lot of people and I hope you guys enjoy and welcome to another episode of the bare naked health podcast and on the line today I have Max Ada now Max one of the first questions I ask everybody who comes on the show is share with us uh, your health and movement journey up into this point
1: uh, so well thanks for having me on here absolutely um, I started uh, I started weightlifting when I was about 12 years old uh, I, I saw the 1996 Olympics on TV I saw the former you know uh, he actually just passed away uh, you know sort of greatest weightlifter ever Naeem Sue monolu win his third gold medal and that inspired me to like become a weightlifter uh and at 12 years old i you know had no idea what to do or what i was doing so i i just you know did the standard um you know weightlifting you know with the plastic and concrete uh weights that you have in you know in the basement
0: and, <laughs> absolutely
1: you know the the weights that my father had probably when he uh you know he, he used it one time or something uh and so from <laughs> there from there i uh you know i got into it more and i found people and and just you know worked my way to to finding coaches and, and, and got into, you know, actual program, you know, where people were teaching me how to lift weights properly. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. You know, I was like, when I was a kid, when I was little, I was like a real like chubby little kid. And I think that probably, you know, that, that probably had something to do with me, like really wanting to, to make lifting or training a part of my life. So, yeah.
0: So this is one I'm not sure I've ever heard you talk about. Cause I've heard you like uh, on the jug life, like you guys talking there, but have you ever talked like, okay, what if a 12 year old, if you're a 12 year old kid out there, like where do you start? What do you do uh, to kind of get into weightlifting? Because I'm sure actually having gone through it now, you probably have uh, more recommendations. Like as far as like a really young kid would go as far as where to start if they're interested.
1: Well, you're actually in luck because we just covered this topic on the jug life podcast. Uh, and it's probably coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, uh, basically like you know you, you, the the most important thing for um the most important thing for young kids and getting the training especially for weightlifting is that the process of long-term athletic development has to be adhered to so you have to really take into consideration initially as a young athlete it's it's about learning technique it's about developing um the, the, the prerequisite skills and the prerequisite physical qualities to become a good athlete, or a good weightlifter um, later in life. And basically your, your, your whole process is about sacrificing the amount of weight you're going to lift and your results in the sport for the process of developing athleticism, general physical preparation uh, and whatnot. So, so you know, in the, in the long, you're basically planning for the long term and in that you're going to do, you know, quote unquote worse in the short term and that you're not going to have big results in the snatch and clean and jerk. You're not going to be, you know, the school age champion because you train seven times a week. You're going to be the kid who becomes athletic and better and, and proficient. And then as the years progress, you start to develop better and your career looks much longer, much bigger and your top results. Are late into your career rather than early in your career, with a big spike and then a huge drop off, and you know potential injury if you don't apply that uh, properly. So that's that's kind of the gist of how how to get involved or how, really the process of how to train. You know, how to get involved anymore? Now there's so many clubs and so many coaches out there that you really just have to throw a stone in any direction. You'll probably hit somebody.
0: And I think uh, by the time this comes out, maybe maybe the one you guys uh, put out will be out as well. So everybody check out Jug Life sure. there if they're interested more in that, that. That'll be coming out probably around the same time. Yeah. Um, so, Max, you said the, in there, though, injury, though. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, like you had a pretty serious wrist injury, right? That kind of yeah. shortened your career. If you wouldn't mind, just quick giving a little bit everybody. uh what – what happened there and what almost maybe you've learned from that and, uh, what, what what are you taking forward from that, uh, having a major injury
1: yourself? Yeah. What happened is, uh, I, I jammed my wrist against my thigh in a clean or jammed my elbow against my thigh and dislocated the lunate bone in my wrist. Um, and then through a series of unfortunate circumstances, uh, I, I got it diagnosed, uh, it, you know, the diagnosis wasn't great off the start. They missed it. And then, you know, basically what happened is at the time, health insurance was not guaranteed to anyone. You weren't, you know, you, you could be excluded from health insurance in the United States from, you know, from having a pre-existing condition. Um, I had insurance through my employer, and then he canceled it when he found that he needed surgery. And I was basically left in a position where I had to, you know, pay for it myself that cost me about 13 months of time between the injury and the actual surgery and that mm-hmm. is what really caused the damage that's what really caused the, the irreparable situation um so you know that that is what it is there uh i had to i had to have the bone we re- i had the the wrist reconstructed the bone was put back in place but it went necrotic and died and so that was that was it i uh I, uh, you know, can't really use the hand for cleans or snatches, just can't do that, can't move that fast and, and receive weight like that. I can kind of bench press, but the whole arm is just so much weaker. Um, yeah, there, there's all sorts of proprio- proprioceptive things, I think, that go on that prevent the arm from being, you know, fully as strong as it could be. Um, you know, for a while there, I bench pressed. and My bench press was going up when I was doing power lifting. And then at some point, it just kind of stopped improving, not because I was plateauing in training, it just, I started to notice that, like, my left arm just wouldn't wouldn't behave the same way as my right arm. And so, you know, it just kind of stalled out, and then it started to regress, and I could never really regain that strength again. Um, you know, that, that's aside from also being a terrible bench presser, but... Uh, <laughs> you know is the 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 arm definitely kind of stopped that the grip in that hand is really weak too so you know the things I learned about it one th- this is the most important piece of advice I'll give anyone about training and about making good choices is that no one single lift or for that matter no one single workout or single day of training is going to make you a champion but one lift can end your career and it's important to understand that it's not ever worth it to try and save lifts that are not in the right position to try and, and you know, I, if, I, if I hit this today or if I do that, it means something special. It's never a reason to put your safety aside from, you know, you could go in the gym tomorrow and snatch 200 kilos and that would be nothing but a cool video. It, it doesn't mean you're going to go to a <laughs> meet. You know what I mean? Like you don't get anything out of that other than the fact that you did it. And so, you know, if you went to the gym tomorrow and you did, you know, you know, not tomorrow, but if you did any one particular workout, training session, lift, none of that equals results on the platform. None of that becomes that. But if you went to the gym for the next two years uninterrupted training, no injuries, and you train smart, you train well, you you'd end up with huge results at the end of that. So I think it's super important to understand that. That's the one biggest piece of advice I give someone, you know, in terms of avoiding injury or dealing with it, is just, you know, there's there's never a risk to doing too little. At the very least, you go slower in your progress. So,
0: so coaching a lot of people, how do you how do you manage the ego then uh, with something like that, where people are always going to want to be pushing?
1: I, I only coach women, so I don't have to worry about the ego problem. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's okay. <laughs> not, entirely, not entirely true, but uh, you know, of the women, of the people I coach, uh, I mean, most of my, you know, for sure, my best listeners have been women. You know, the world, cha- uh, world, world, world uh, team members, American record holders. Um, they they are always women are always so much less about the ego stuff. They just seem so much more capable of putting themselves in a position where. They're willing to learn or listen and behave in a way that's that's conducive to them getting better. They're f- they're focused on improving and changing themselves rather than focused on you know proving that they're right about something. Um, you know the, the worst guy, the worst people I've ever coached are are you know generally like guys that think they know everything or or guys that feel like they need they deserve some kind of credit due to them because you know. They they are the ones kind of like it's their lifting career or something like and they, and they they refuse to acknowledge that like hey there's some good ideas here that could make me better there's some good things they they have a hard time like you know just they're just difficult to work with a lot of times and not all guys obviously have you know Anthony Palmponia is fantastic to work with but uh you know some people are just that's just how they are and I think it's probably more just an individual thing but but definitely. The women are – I've never even run into that with women where it's an ego problem.
0: No, and that actually makes sense. Like, I mean, we're just – I think hardwired a lot of times men are to just almost get in their own way from from that standpoint. Uh, But that's an interesting way to think about it then too. Like women are just – they're looking for that uh, long-term progression for themselves. They're not uh, becoming short-sighted on it and just trying to get in their own way. So that's actually really cool.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've actually – I believe there's some. There's some. I remember reading something once a long time ago about the idea that language, um, and this is probably a little bit off topic, but the idea that language is really just evolved. The idea of language didn't evolve to communicate. Language is an is an evolved process, or language is is a mechanism by which people can dominate other people and allow them to establish their hierarchy differently. So, so you only speak and communicate with language in a way to communicate dominance or to you know because we're not we're not like we're not going to run out there and beat our chests you know even even the most even the most you know thuggish guys are going to go out there they're gonna like beat their chest it's not the same as like when you know two animals like an elk or something that they butt heads like it's it's not quite the same thing so we've evolved to be able to dominate each other with our brains, our intellect, and our intelligence, which is the most the most profound trait we have as humans that separates us from the other species on the planet. And language is a way to do that. Language is a way to dominate people. And, and what you say, how you behave in that regard, and how you talk to people, and how you do those things. Ego, these things are all ways to do that. So I think a lot of times men get into a place where they, they're insecure and they feel the need to assert their control over situations and assert their dominance and, and prove that so they argue and they they have to make ideas their own. They do all these, you know, linguistic sort of, I don't want to say tricks, but linguistic sort of behaviors just to to, you know, trick you or confuse you or, or make you feel like they are the ones who dominant by making their idea heard, claiming things as their idea, claiming that they're the one in charge or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think there's a lot of that that kind of just gets stuck in there.
0: So. Yeah, and then that's going to just carry forward with whatever it is that they're doing. I mean, like, yeah. when, when, the way you said it there, like you said, like, the elk or the moose or something, like, butting heads, like, I think of, like, two guys, like, if you're weightlifting, like, each of them has a barbell, like, they stack with as much as they want, and they go out at, it, like, a joust or something like that then, too. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but it, the language part is interesting. So, I'm guessing then you almost have to use like a very different language, like depending, well, I mean, of course who you're working with. Um, but how does, how is your communication style then, uh, with your athletes or is that still so independent on the athlete?
1: So I, I'm not the kind of coach who's going to run out there and yell at somebody to do something because if they don't want to do it, then that's unfortunate for them. You know, uh, this is, this is the program or, You know, like, hey, do what I say or you're done kind of thing is not my mentality. Um, I have very much the sense that, hey, if you're if you're working with me, then you're probably at a point now where this is something you want to do. And if you want to do it and you're working with me, then, you know, it's very it's very obvious, like, hey, here's what I think is the best solution. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And then we'll go from there. You know, I don't have the patience or the – I don't have the sort of level of, of – uh, you know, I'm not the coach who's going to sit there and, and motivate someone to come to the gym. I mean if they're not motivated to come to the gym, they've already failed. Like it's just not possible for them to achieve high results. Um, you know, it's like you're missing fundamental components of it. So, so, you know, also it's like arguing with people about doing this or that. Like it just – I have the philosophy that leave leave people enough rope to hang themselves with. You know, it's like, this is something you want to do with your life. You, you certainly don't have to do it. So if you want to get better at it and achieve something and do something, then, like, let's work together and we don't have to even worry about the idea that, you know, this is, like, I'm going to have to, like, pester you to, to, you know, show up and do your squats, right? Um, and so it's just different types of people. I mean, I think, I think the people I have are really very, very – Self-motivated individuals, very, very uh, focused, and able to coordinate those things to, to make them happen. Very Type A personalities that are all, you know, in that regard. And so, it, to me, it's a lot of it's a lot of just assigning. Hey, these are really the best things we should be doing right now. Here's the best way to manage your training. This is the best exercises and training for you. Let's go forward. If if they don't even have that prerequisite there, they they probably need a coach who's more you know, more of a motivational, like, going to go out and call them up in the morning and, you know, find them and bring them in the gym. And, you know, you know it's I, you see this a lot with coaches, different kinds of coaches. There's, the, I saw a list, someone showed me a list on Reddit the other day of the, the top 15 coaches in USA weightlifting. And, uh, and my name was on the list, I think it was like 15th or something. And what's funny to me is that the list is the list i mean whatever list there is doesn't really matter you can make any list you want but there's so many different types of coaches especially in weightlifting you know there's there's coaches that are really good at managing and creating a program of of hundreds of kids and that's awesome and that's a very different skill set than a coach who takes one person from 12 years old to the olympic games and he works with one person maybe two or three Maybe here and there he has some other people he works with or she works with, but they really are, are great at one, you know, taking one person from nothing to the on fix. Other coaches are fantastic at taking intermediate lifters, someone who's been taught the lifts, and really making them better at it and perfect perfecting their technique and improving them a ton, but they can't make they can't take a beginner and make them a better lifter or teach them the lifts, and they can't take an intermediate and make them Uh, a high caliber lifter you also have people who are good coaches who are great at the idea of uh, you know coaching a whole team but don't work well one-on-one they're too aggressive they're too intense for one person or people that really work extremely well with one or two people or sorry uh with like really elite people and can take someone who you know is is you know qualifying for world championships and make that person a better lifter uh and so you just have so many variations and different types of coaches that work well in different programs you know some coaches work well with women some work well with men you know and there's so many different types of coaching and different styles of it and different avenues that people get better at or that that are good at or bad at or specializing in Um, so communication style is not a universal thing it's a very much you know it's very much like certain types of people are going to respond better to a different type of coach you know the the guy who's out there you know rah-rah clapping jumping around when the person's on stage lifting and they're the you know they're the most energetic person in the room might not work well for the kind of person who's just very thoughtful and methodical and quiet you know that might just not sit well with them it might just be a different fit not saying that that coach isn't a great coach just very different kind of coaching right
0: I really like that insight there because people think of coaching as, as you said, they're pretty much, okay, who are the best coaches? Well, for what? I mean, yes, right. weight, the sport of weightlifting, but the sport of weightlifting encompasses everybody from that 12-year-old up to uh, a master's level who's just getting into it at the age of 65 yeah. and they just want to start and like, everything in between.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So what is it? What have you learned the most about coaching, say, in the last two years?
1: Uh, in the last two years, what have learned most about coaching? Uh, what I would say is most – what I've learned most is that there are people – are, people are people. And, you know, people are going to do what they want to do as a person, you know, they're going to, they're going to put themselves in places and, you know, they're going to, they're going to make decisions based on who they are more so than you have any influence on them as a coach. So, you know, over the last two years, over the last two years, including this last couple of weekends, I've had four different individuals break American records in, in weightlifting. Um, of those four, one of the girls failed a drug test, and and that was, you know, I, I'm sure there you probably have read about that stuff, but largely dependent, you know, I think largely influenced by the people she chose to surround herself with outside of my gym and outside of my, you know, our, our team's coaching, um, you know, bad decisions, bad life choices, you know, you fucked up. That's what you get for it, right? I mean, who knows why? Two of those are people, two of the other people after they broke records, you know before they were break before they had both held the record before, but they currently were not doing well. They had traditionally not been great lifters, bad competitors. Um, you know they later broke the records again.
0: Alrighty, guys. All right. Lost it for a second there, Max. Uh, I think we were in in the middle of you were talking about two two athletes.
1: Yeah. So so I was saying of those of those record breakers, of those like, yeah, <clears throat> one made horrible choices in life and and ended up where she did. Two of them, you know, whatever the relationships degraded, and and they you know were believe they were entitled to you know something different, better, moved on. Um, you know, and the fourth is, is still with me. Um, the, the, the point I'm making is that that's four, that's three amazing performances, right? That's the top of coaching is breaking records and records that are difficult to break. You know, American wafting records are not something that fall every meet. Um, those, those are a big deal. Yeah, this is this is
0: absolutely like top of the top, cream of the crop right. right now.
1: That that shows excellence in in the whole process. Everyone did a great job of the actual thing. The thing that we talked about, the the training program, the coaching, the lifting, the the talent. Everything was at a peak. The best of all those things. And in the end, when you look at it, it's like how, why would that situation change right why wouldn't everyone involved want to do something more with what was going on there and so the the big takeaway is that you know coaching is really about communication and relationships and having a you know being a great coach is not just about having the smartest program or the best the best athletes you know or or, or you know the most or you can you know joyce it's about establishing good relationships with people and establishing what kind of relationships you can, you can have and what kind of people you can work with as a coach. You know, um, the, the, the thing to remember is like, if you're a good coach, if you have the ability and the skills and the, the knowledge to take someone from, from nothing to a record, you can do that again and again and again because those things are fundamental and they exist the whole time they're always going to be able to do that you know just finding the right people and, and driving that forward being a person who's broken a record is not the same you only get to do that for a short period of time before it's over and so you know understanding that your skill set and stuff will get better as a coach it's it's the relationships that you have to work on it's the the ability to find the people that are that are People that fit with your personality and who you are and what you do, and and help them in a, in you know with their skills you have the coaching you have. So I think the biggest thing that I've learned in the last couple of years about coaching is definitely that the relationships between people and the environment and all these things coming together have to be, you know, they they sometimes are not permanent things, and understanding that you know, your job as a coach is to isn't to just uh, you know execute your training program, but it's also to, to treat people and behave in a way and, and find people that fit with your your life views or your personality, your character, right? Um, one thing that I think is funny that I definitely would apply to to coaching, there's a there's a saying that you can buy brains you can buy brawn, but you can't buy character. And I think that you know as a coach that's something you should really remember and, and, and think about right you can always you can always find somebody who's intelligent. you can always learn more and, and pay for more knowledge and, and acquire that you know easily It doesn't require any it doesn't require anything intrinsic or, or special to become smarter you know. You can read books and, and watch videos, and you'll learn. Yeah, you, know, you can find talent, you can find muscle and brawn, you can find people that are capable. Doesn't that that's not difficult? There's lots of very capable people, but to be somebody of good character and to have good character and to be a big part of that, you know, it it requires work and requires integrity and patience and work on yourself to, to live up to a certain standard every day. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that I think, you know, is really important as a coach and in coaching is to adhere to that. And yeah, I, myself for sure, find myself in places where I have to make sure that that's, you know, who am I going to be? What am I going to do? What are my boundaries? What, what is, you know, what am I as a person? How does that make me as a coach?
0: Well, I mean, Max, I certainly didn't have you on for your brains or your bronze, so it must be your character, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, no, I do appreciate you, though, saying that. I, I think that's – and the way you spelled it out there, like you said, you, you can always go and learn more. You can always, like, find somebody with a talent. But now putting that all together and having the character and really uh, somebody that va- has similar values to you, I mean, that where this is all going to mesh together and that yeah. relationship overall – that is an amazing feat. Like to 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 blend all of that together. Now you really do have that. Uh, you at least have the possibility for success now, uh, without yeah. one of those pillars dropping out from you.
1: Yep, for sure.
0: One of the things you said there in their verse is like uh, some people are like good or bad competitors. I think this is interesting because something like how do you. I guess work with somebody differently uh, if they're a good competitor versus bad competitor versus like good in training versus bad in training and then maybe have uh, the opposite on the platform or in whatever event that they they're competing in.
1: So I think there's, there's two facets to this problem, uh, a good competitor versus a, good, a bad competitor. Um, so the good competitor will define as somebody who does at least their best in training on the platform, if not more, they're capable of making important lifts under pressure. You know, the they need to make this third clean and jerk to win, or they need to make this last snatch to get first. And they're successful more times than not, right? So I would say define that as that's what I would consider a good competitor, someone who rises to the occasion, regardless of the situations. Uh, bad competitors are someone who's in an advantageous state. They're they're doing better than maybe their competition, and they fail and they flounder. Um, and maybe they uh, maybe they they have to be the front runner in order to succeed. Uh, maybe they're not capable of uh, you know excelling beyond their their training results in a meet. And they might need a big surplus in training and results to actually achieve, uh, you know, lesser results on the platform. So, in those two situations, there's two things going on. Good competitors, or, or sorry, there's two things that you have to look at. One is how they train. So training can result in bad, a, a bad competitor, right? If you train to fail and you're missing lifts all the time in training, that's going to be, you know. Uh, it's going to result in you performing poorly more than likely. Um, if you are a, you know, training, you know, too light, whatever, you get scared at meets that can also contribute. So addressing your training, making sure that your training is, making sure that your training is really, uh, you know, consistent and solid, and and that it is something that is nurturing of your results on the platform, not diminishing of them so when you train you excel when you train well you do well at meets. the thing that makes you know the other side of that is the mental side of things are people in a position where they constantly have negative self-talk you know they, they walk around um you know always always you know negative about the results or they have no real confidence in their abilities they're they're always you know, bad mouthing themselves, they're always, you know, talking, talking down about the results, nothing they do is ever very high quality, Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, So, so, you know, addressing that, training a certain way and then addressing your negative talk or your self-talk or whatever those things are. And then the other side of the coin is, you know, are they the kind of person who is optimistic and positive about the results when they, you know, when they train, Um, are they, are they, you know, they go into a competition, they, they believe they're capable of making big lifts, um, you know, versus they, they are going to a big meet and they don't have any confidence in themselves. They don't think they can do well. Um, so you know, those two things are important, the physical side training, the other side mental people that are good competitors that are mentally good competitors or sorry, bad competitors it's important to try and reframe their thinking and get them to believe they're capable and talk about the process of improving rather than the numbers. You don't have confidence in yourself and your coach is only ever talking about, you need to hit this number or that number, you know, one Oh five snatch 112 clean and jerk, like, like these specific numbers all the time. It's going to be a negative thing. So we, uh, we do a lot of work in terms of focusing on the process rather than the goal. Uh, if people are not confident, they need to focus on what they can improve, and then proving that that can be better. You know, if you're if you're a 100 kilo snatcher and you want to snatch 105, you know, what do we have to do to make sure that you're making snatches at 100 and 102 and 103? And if you do that, you'll end up snatching 105. You know, and those things may be just simple, like improving your technique, or you know, I'm going to work on finishing my pull more. And then look at these qualitative and, and sort of characteristic remark markers in your training as positive things and, and how you're working towards them and building that confidence through that rather than, oh, I want to snatch 105. I can't snatch 105. And every day you go to the gym, you don't do it. It just feels like you're failing. it makes sense?
0: It absolutely does. And it makes me curious then too. So – Either like athletes that you're working with or just general recommendations. Like, do you, are you usually like an athlete's only coach? Do you have them have like multiple coaches for multiple things? Uh, whether it be, um, I mean, nutrition obviously would be a big one, but I mean, just recovery, lifestyle, I mean, anything like that? Or do you kind of make a lot of those recommendations then, uh, for them as well?
1: Uh, you know, we, we have people that have gone to like sports psychologists and that stuff. Um, and and different things. I mean, a lot of it is about establishing the training program and the the process orientation as the main driving uh, sort of underlying fuel for the the motivational process. Those two things, I think, sort out quite a bit of issues. And then above and beyond that, it's just being intelligent in how you execute the sport. So. So, you know, going to meets and planning to make lifts, right? We focus on the mentality of having the next lift. Uh, if they go to a meet and they do four for six, the next meet, we're not trying to make big PRs. We're trying to go make, make those lists we missed the last meet. Um, so all those things take place before we actually think about, you know, going to a sports psychologists or these kind of things. Because a lot of times it's just that you're you're really doing things incorrectly, you know? Um and and so you just create this really negative bad system around yourself and and it's not so much that you need to go see somebody special or have four or five different coaches and stuff you just need to start doing this and behaving in a different way so that your the habits you have are positive um so you know the big thing is like i think people are really quick to jump on find a solution take a pill take a you know get get a seminar under your belt from someone you know and and the quick fix solution is always to like do more of something else rather than do what you're doing better now.
0: So I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of like how I want to go about asking that. Um, I guess how does somebody note that? Like how do you help somebody find that? Because not everybody can identify that in themselves. Well, Uh,
1: yeah. So imagine what you're, what you want to be right? Imagine that you're a weightlifter. What is it? What would be, what is the best performance you could have? Right. Okay. I go, I go to a meet, I go six for six and I make PRs on, on everything and I win.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So step back from there. Where are you in relation to that? Well, I go to meets and I do two for six and I can never make the weights I need to lift to win. Well, you're not you, you have to look at building on that foundation okay well why are you not making six lifts well because you're missing them why are you missing them well because your technique's bad no my technique's good it's like I miss them because they're too heavy well then you need to take lighter lifts you need to do this so it's like it's like backtrack from where you want to be and establish okay sure what is what are the things I'm not doing that I want to do and then how do I get there well what's holding me back from that because if I said to you what's holding you back from squatting 900 pounds? it's, it's, it's hard to answer that question, right? It's like, well, I don't know.
0: I mean, simply like my first thought, I'm not strong enough.
1: (laughs) I'm not strong enough. Right. Okay. So what would be the process of, of squatting 900 pounds? Well, I have to continue to get stronger. Is my program making me stronger? Yes. Okay. Well, then I'm getting closer to squatting 900 pounds. Sure. You might be at 300 pounds. You may never get to 900, but the point is that you have the process of that. So then Every day you go to the gym, if you don't squat 900 pounds, you're going to feel like a failure because that's your goal, right? Mm-hmm. And goals, a lot of what I'm talking about is like, we don't, we don't focus on goals. I don't like the idea of talking about numbers and I don't like the idea of saying, this is my goal, you know, let's pick some goal numbers and, and do this. And a lot of coaches really love to talk about the idea of like, we're shooting for world records, we're shooting for worlds and we're going to, our goals are huge it's just setting yourself up for failure. Our goals are to execute the process better and better because if the process is good and we execute on that, the outcome will be good. And if the outcome is good enough times, we get close to what we think is our goal. or We get close to what we think we can achieve. So good competitors, bad competitors, you know, the, what you're trying to do is become a good competitor. Well, in order to do that, you have to have good competitions. So you have to... Position yourself in a place where you believe that things can happen for you, that you can make good lifts. In order to do that, you have to be successful. And if you're not successful with the numbers you're taking now and the weights you're lifting now, reduce that and become successful. Success begets success, right? If you go to five meets in a row <laughs> and, you, and you make five or six lifts, you're going to believe that's something that you can achieve and you can have. If you don't do that, if you keep going to meets and going two for six or one for six, Or bombing out or whatever it is like you're you're just gonna you're never gonna get out of that right if every meet you went to you got uh, you bombed out like when the next meet you sign up for you what are you gonna think you're not gonna bomb out like so so i think a lot of that is just a matter of preparing people mentally for success starting in a way that they can achieve what they want on a mini a miniature level so that imaginary six for six meet where you win and break records That on a mini level would be going to a competition and making all six lifts, right? Then the next step would be like going to a meet and making you know six lifts but with a PR in there. Then the next step would be like, okay, we're going to make six lifts but heavier than the last time we did a meet and so on and so forth. And just a slow, steady, successful progression of that. And it takes a long time but it's it's the only way to really become successful is to become a habit or make it a habit unfortunately
0: not everybody's willing to make, take that long time to do so yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well it's also not as much fun right it's like you go to a meet and, and and that's fine if you want to go to a meet and just you know go for broke and have a great time plenty of people are i mean something right. nothing wrong going three for six or two for six if you're just having fun i mean but if you really want to try and achieve something or if you're a head case or you have you know head case if you have a you know, if you're not a great competitor, then like that's a that's how you achieve that. That's how you beat that is is to, you know, slowly build into those things.
0: I mean, this is some awesome advice here. Like you have me. I, I have uh, a couple weeks, like uh, another strongman competition coming up. Uh, so you have me thinking almost di- like I, I'm just thinking right now, like differently about some of the events, that type of thing uh, with almost my mental approach to it. So I appreciate that. Like it, it, it's putting a different twist on things. Uh, but yeah. I think like in a very beneficial manner where it's not like, okay, this is the number it's okay. This is what I'm doing. What am I doing now? How am I just right. progressing towards that between now and then or now and next year or whatever that would be?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, imagine like a strongman's great. It's Like look at, evaluate your performance. Look at what you do and what you're, what you're doing and how you're, how you're, you know, executing everything. And then make those choices you know like what what are the things I can improve on and just focus on improving those uh, you know you improve those little things you improve the uh, the uh, whatever your your performance here or your this that and the other you know I, I could get my technique better on the Atlas stones I could I could you know cut down the time it takes me to go from one stone to the next Or you know what I mean like all those things Absolutely. Like, none of those things are intrinsic are are, are None of those things are exceptionally difficult in and of themselves, but when when combined together, they create a very, very conducive situation to being really good. It's a lot like building a house, you know, or building something like a brick wall. It's like every brick in the in the wall in and of itself is insignificant. You could take any one of those bricks out. You could take a lot of those bricks out and the wall would still stand. But But together, they create something that's impenetrable they create a giant wall so so it's important to understand that the little components that can be perfected and, and done well over and over and over again as a process are what produce the, the you know greater outcome in the end it's always a matter of the sum of the parts is greater than the whole
0: another brick in the wall I'm going to have to play with some Pink Floyd or something on this show yeah. uh, for, <laughs> uh, no but that that's very true it's like just that Whatever the sport, whatever you're, you're competing in, there's always those little tweaks that you can make, uh, and it's not always about having to hit that number. It's, okay, just, hey, continuously yeah. progressing, uh, which, again, that's here, here is maybe coming up that male ego versus uh, female ego. Yeah. Just, hey, we want it now, we want it yesterday, and bigger, yeah. better than everybody else.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, Max, what is it that you're just – geeking out on right now that you're just like really wanting to learn a whole lot more about?
1: Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not super. I mean, i I'm always reading a few books at the same time. A friend of my good friend of mine wrote a book called, uh, I don't remember the title by, by James Smith. Uh, it's a unified field theory of coaching. Okay. Uh, and in it, he talks. You know, his whole his whole thing is uh, he talks about uh, how how in the United States, and he, this applies a lot more to things like uh, for sports, like team sports, where where there's a big disconnect between the sport coach, like the, the head coach of a football team, mm-hmm. and and all of the physical preparation that goes into the training of football players. So, you know, there's like the idea in his mind is that a, a head coach of a football team should understand every aspect of the preparation of a football player. Uh, And that should go so far down as to understanding, you know, essentially mathematics and physics and, and have a base understanding of all these aspects of, of, you know, physiology so that he can best prepare his athletes for the game of football. Um, and and so, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, he might be, a football coach might be the best tactical coach in the in the world, might be, has, has the best tactics and the best in regards to that, but lacks an, a fundamental understanding of the general physical preparation necessary for a football player and completely misunderstand the special preparation of a football player. Um, to the point that it's just this discombobulated, you know system of different coaches basically just piecing together something without even communicating or understanding the the entirety of the the problem at hand if that makes sense. And so it, you know his whole book is about understanding that and, and sort of, you know here's here's the process that I would would recommend as to this better approach to that you know, better approach to solving that problem.
0: No, and that does make sense. It's I, I, I'm equating like you used American football there, so it's like, okay, are you a linebackers coach or are you the head coach? Like linebackers coach, like you, you just you need to make them the best linebacker on the field right then and there. But the head coach needs to take into account well all of the linebackers, but then also all of their training, all of the other players' training. Um, when I say training, that's again on the field, off the field, any and everything yeah. uh, well, to fall yeah, under there.
1: His whole concept is that a head coach should understand every aspect of how to coach a linebacker properly okay in in addition to understanding every aspect of how to do any kind of general strength training or specific training or any of that that the coach just like a weightlifting coach right understands every aspect of a weightlifter's training Mm -hmm. they understand rehab you know injury prevention injury flexibility you know, the general physical preparation, all of these aspects. They understand everything. It's a much simpler sport, but they understand all aspects of that. They understand psychology. They understand all these things um, to some degree. Obviously, not every coach does. But Well, what do
0: you think maybe for, applying it to weightlifting? I mean, that's, that's your big area. Like, where do you see um, for maybe the novice coach or, like, the intermediate coach? Like, what are they m- missing the most from being able to uh, – put all of that together for the athlete.
1: I think I think the thing that most coaches lack is a, a base understanding of the principles of training and their interrelationship and and the importance they all have. I think you see a lot of times people make the mistake, especially in our sports, you know, the strength sports, they 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 grasp the idea of of, you know, certain aspects of training, but they really lack a fundamental, like, underlying concept of what the principles involved are and how they relate to each other, right? So, you see a lot of coaches, especially like in weightlifting, where like they might grasp specificity very well as a principle. They understand, oh, yeah, you got to do, you got to do squat, bench, and deadlift to get better, right? But maybe they totally mismanage the idea of, of, uh, you know, overload. They, they don't, they don't grasp that they you know things must become difficult or progressively harder. Um, they don't understand how to you know modify programs to suit different levels of athlete, different qualifications, right? Um, you know, maybe maybe you know coaches lack an understanding of variations, right? Where they're they're constantly trying to change the program to make it work, or they're constantly changing different variables and losing you know, and violating specificity because of that, uh, and whatever, you know, there's so many different ways you can fuck things up. Uh, but I think that generally like that's probably the biggest thing is people don't understand or don't have a great concept of that. I think the other thing is that, uh, coaches don't have the, uh, they don't set up the idea of, process orientation like we talked about earlier right they, they get so focused on numbers and, and performances and this and that that they don't think about the long-term strategic plan um and and that could also be an industry problem too where you know you don't know how long you're going to have somebody you know they might come in for two years and then just not want to do it anymore or they might come in for six months and so you know it's hard so there, i understand that's always a problem um but uh you know i think i think that the the those two two aspects are probably the biggest things that that young coaches would do better to embrace and learn
0: so max what then uh actually if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about uh weightlifting technique triad uh book that came out like uh what are people gonna get from that because i want everybody to know like okay put this out there i haven't gotten to check it out but i mean just as far as like what i've heard talks about it and just what it looks like that's in there uh some pretty awesome stuff
1: yeah you know it really what it is a book is just kind of a different a different uh perspective to look at the technique and to look at you know how the technique is i think a lot of times people talk about technique either in too technical of terms they want to talk about You know the different positions of the body, the different lengths of the body, and these things, and it doesn't get across the essence of what you're trying to achieve. Um, So, what what the technique triad does, or what we did, or what that whole idea is—the idea that basically, what are the three, what are the most simple, essential components of a snatch, clean, or jerk, and what does that look like when we talk about how to become more efficient in technique, and how to become a a more successful technician. Not necessarily teaching you, hey, here's the way to do a snatch and clean and jerk, but here's the components of a snatch and clean, clean and jerk that must be executed and where you can falter with those. So as an example, it would be, um, like we're talking about an example that makes it simpler, is that every time, you know, everyone's done a squat, right? Mm -hmm. every single squat encompasses the same mechanics no matter how no matter what you do or what you look like everybody bends their knee and their hip has to drop down below the crease of the knee the hip crease below the kneecap right Mm -hmm. and they stand back up that would be a squat if you described it in those terms it makes very much you know it's very sensible but Hundred people might execute it very differently. Some people's butts going to go back more. Some are going to be more upright. Some be a bit more bent over. So those are the those are the styles of technique. Everyone's mechanics are the same. They all have to bend their knee and drop their hips down, and then stand back up. Uh, the way it looks and how different it is for each person is based on the style. In weightlifting, the same could be said for a snatch, right? So there's you know a bar has to be lifted up off the ground. They have to squat down under it and catch it overhead and then stand back up. And that can really, those three aspects can be distilled down to basically the relative height you actually pull the bar to, the time it takes to fix the bar overhead. So the time to fixation would be like how fast you actually squat under the bar and receive it. And then the third would be, is the bar in the right place? So only those three, those three different components are something that can actually be, we can measure them. We can establish whether or not they're correct or if they're efficient based on the differences between them, right? if you pull the bar all the way up to your eyeballs and then you catch it, you know, all the way in the bottom, clearly you're not efficient. And that's obvious. But how do we go about saying, okay, what exercises are going to fix that? And so in the book, once we establish the components – we then look at lists of exercises and how those exercises actually fit into each component. So, let's say your your relative height is is really high. You pull the bar too high relative mm-hmm. to how how where you need to catch it. You know, we don't need to do exercises that emphasize that component, that quality, because it's only going to make us worse. So we need to take things that reduce that quality and emphasize the other aspects of the lifts that are more important. And maybe that's time to fixation. You need to get under the bar faster so that you can lift more weight because you pull it so high. If you pull it, if you didn't have to pull it so high, you could lift more, right? It's really basic stuff. The whole idea of the book is very basic. It really, you know, you could have even called it like a beginner's guide to weightlifting exercises. Because a lot of it is about, like, what are what are the good choices we can make in training for exercises that are going to be specific to the issues we actually have? You know, what, what separates doing a, a, a hang snatch from doing a deficit snatch? And a lot of people just can't answer those questions, you know? And there's a lot of, like, sort of, I want to say, like, voodoo or sort of, like, like tradition associated with stuff like oh we do block stuff at the beginning of training cycles because everyone does sure yeah. or we do you know i do i do hang cleans because you know you know my dad told me to do them or whatever <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like like they just kind of have these sort of things like you hear the same thing in powerlifting was a big when west side was real popular where it's like oh we do you know you do good mornings to make your squat go up mm-hmm. but then on closer inspection you realize it's actually a Fucking terrible idea, because it's not going to work, and it's not actually addressing <laughs> the issues of a squat. Right? It's like if your squat's bad, and people are like, "Do more squats," or "Do more uh, good mornings to make your squat go up." You're gonna you're gonna do them, and like if you have weak legs, that's not going to help you at all. So in this, it's like, okay, if I if I'm you know if my problems in the lift are that I'm not efficient, meaning I pull the bar really high and I, I don't have to. I'm pulling it too high, then I need to focus on things that make me more efficient and what group of exercise is going to do that. And it's in the book, obviously, like, you know, right. these are the exercises recommended. If you're really efficient, if you pull the bar to the minimum possible height and you receive it there, then what exercises do you need to do? Well, your training needs to revolve more around strength. You need to get stronger and increase the actual height you can pull the bar to or increase the amount of weight you can pull to the same height. And so, you know, there's a group of exercises for that, a better application of that. So that, that's really what the book is about, is allowing you to pinpoint what makes sense from a training standpoint, what, what exercises are going to have the most beneficial effect on you based on things. There's also, I like to have things in more quantifiable terms and have a mathematical approach to something. So, you know, how do you define efficient technique? Well, there's a formula in the book to define. You know, define that. How, you know, and and you can actually take tangible numbers and measure that across the board as you progress as a lifter. Oh, okay. Here's like actual tangible metrics, not just I look like I'm a better lifter. I have good technique. Because uh, those things don't really do much for someone who's yeah. You know, it's like we need to be beyond that at this point. We need to be beyond the idea of just eyeballing everything.
0: But yet, that is so unbelievably simple. Like you yeah. said, like it's it's for like you could have titled it, like something beginners, but at the same time that can be applied at any point in training, yeah. No matter where you're at,
1: yeah, exactly. I think it's important <laughs> for people to analyze their training from from a really analytical standpoint and not not overanalyze it, but use data that can actually prove what, whether things are going right. If you went to a meet and you trained for six months and you didn't hit a PR, you might not know why right? Sure. I mean, if you, and your training was great and you didn't hit a PR. Well, there's so many different factors but if you analyze your training or your technique along the process of training you can see, oh okay, I'm actually making my technique worse by doing this kind of training. You know, by, by spending so much time trying to get strong I actually make my technique worse and I become a shittier lifter. Or, I'm spending too much time trying to refine my efficiency and I'm already almost as efficient as I can be I've just wasted energy, right? And uh, you know, as you're a good coach, a really good coach can kind of walk into a room and pick out what people need to do.
0: Sure. That's, yeah. not,
1: that's not difficult, but it always helps to have a guideline. It always helps to have a place to draw that, you know, those conclusions from. And the book was really more a matter of like, how do we look at this from an objective standpoint? If I walk into a room, this is what I see and how I, how I make decisions, but let me put it on paper so that you can take that same process and do it.
0: Yeah, I. I that's – the way you explain that is unbelievably simple yet effective and efficient. Like uh, where I could see that, like you said, this is, of course, to weightlifting. You could apply this through so yeah. many different types of strength sports just by breaking down each of – I mean the movements, the lifts, whatever it is, and really yeah. seeing it in, in its simplest form and
1: taking those measurements. Yep, yeah, and it works for all – You know, the, the concept is the same for all, all sports, you know. Yeah. Just, they become more and more complex as you as you uh, you know <laughs> as you get into different sports
0: so max we've been chatting here for a while and I, I want to one or two more questions here uh, I feel like I keep asking about all this stuff because I'm really really enjoying this uh, but one thing I usually ask people is who would you want to hear on this podcast but what I'm gonna ask you is is who is somebody that's not been on the Jug Life that you just really want to be able to uh, talk to, and maybe it's not even the Jug Life, maybe it's maybe it's something else that you want to uh, dive down, but just anybody that you really have not had that opportunity to interview that really want to get to talk to. Who
1: who would I want to interview? Yeah, hmm. whether
0: it's in the strength athletics or not, like who is somebody you'd really just like to to talk uh, out, talk with?
1: I would I would like to talk with like uh, Anatoly Bondarchuk. Uh, he's a throws coach, very famous throws coach. Yeah. Uh, that would, that would be interesting. I think he has some very, I really like his, his thought process and, and work that he's done with periodization and his model of periodization, I think is really unique and, and actually makes a lot of sense to me, mm-hmm. uh, you know? So I, I like that. Uh, I would think,
0: uh, well, what, what is it that maybe you'd, is, is there a specific question that you would have for him or something you want him to elaborate on more?
1: Uh, no, not some, I mean, y- you know, or more just for I the think, experience of all that yeah, he has to offer. To kind of see what else he has to talk about really. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, um, at this point, I, there's not a lot of people I would want to, I have like a huge desire to, to sort of meet in that regard. I mean, I'm, I'm always interested in talking all the time to different coaches, but it's not like I have a specific person that I'm like, you know, I really want to like know what this guy knows. Um, I kind of already did that, you know, years ago when I, when I, you know, trained with Abhijaev and all this, like I may, I had such an experience with people that were, you know, my, my sort of heroes. Then even Sheko, like training with him. Those have
0: got to be some pretty big deals right
1: there. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of like, oh, you learn it and then you kind of realize like, oh, I already kind of knew a lot of what they're saying or understand it already. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, of, uh, you know, like confirmation of what I, you know, what I thought already before. Sure. Sure. So
0: then in closing, where can uh, everybody find out more about you, what you have going on, the book, bu- the book that's out all of the above.
1: Yeah, you can, uh, you can email me at max JTS strength. If you have any questions about online programming, online coaching, uh, you can contact me, uh, on Instagram or Facebook, uh, Max underscore Ada on Instagram and obviously Max Ada on Facebook. Uh, yeah. And and those are probably the best places to get in touch with me.
0: And then if they're looking for more uh, on the book or anything like that.
1: Yeah. The book, you can go to at store.jtsstrength.com uh, and, and the books for sale on there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still discounted for the holidays, but yeah, go ahead. And, and, and that's the best place to get it.
0: Right on. Right on. Well, Max, thank you again so much for coming on here. Uh, this has definitely been a blast. I really appreciate uh, a lot of the insights on coaching, uh, just different things that I just hadn't thought of. Uh, and not only from, I think you're giving from the coach's perspective, but you understand the athlete's perspective as well.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Well,
0: thank you very much and, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Awesome. You too. Thank you. Yep. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment comment. comment, and 5-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you.